starting to realize by now that today is Mother's Day, and um, in honor of this special day and as a gift to women throughout the world, I promised last week, and I will keep my promise, I will not tell my annual Mother's Day joke. I know many of you look forward to hearing it, um, many of you men, that is, look forward to hearing it, but uh, it's time we'll just go ahead and put that on the shelf, and uh, if that's not enough, in addition to this gesture of goodwill, I thought it would be fitting on Mother's Day to examine another distressing moral trend that affects women in our society, and that is the problem of sexual harassment. Um, as many women are aware, quite, quite aware, sexual harassment is certainly not a new problem, but the amount of media attention that it's received over the last few years uh, with situations like Bob Packwood in Oregon and uh, Anita Hill and uh, Clarence Thomas. It makes it an issue that has uh, caught the attention of America, and obviously it's going to continue to be front-page news in the months to come in light of recent developments. I received a memo on Tuesday of this past week, and um, it, it shed some light onto some of the current issues that are going on in our country. But the memo is, is from Washington, D.C., and basically it reads as, as follows. For months, rumors have circulated and various reports and columns have been written suggesting that President Clinton was about to be sued over allegations that he sexually harassed Paula Jones, an Arkansas state employee, in 1991. As the deadline approaches for filing a suit under the three-year statute of limitations for sexual harassment, speculation has grown. The deadline is this Sunday, which was next Sunday, which is today, is May, 9, May 8th, and now at least one entity has taken notice, and that is the White House. Reports in both today's, now remember this was Tuesday, Washington Times and Wall Street Journal say that President Clinton is on the verge of hiring Washington super lawyer Bob Bennett to assist him in defending against a potential Jones suit. Well, he did, he did hire him, and the suit was filed yesterday, which was um, fri or Saturday, uh, Friday, uh, May 6th. If, as rumored, Jones files her suit tomorrow in Little Rock, the press, which has hardly dismissed, which has largely dismissed her story to date, will be forced to respond, won't it? Well, hardly if a few early returns are an indication. A Washington Insider's newsletter reports that the D.C. bureau chiefs for two major papers, the Los Angeles Times and the Wall Street Journal, are saying that they expect little coverage of the suit, suggesting, believe it or not, that the media has quote-unquote already written about it. As anyone with even faint memory can attest, this was not the standard that prevailed during the days of Anita Hill. In fact, though her allegations were never corroborated by contemporaneous observers, the press had never stopped writing about Anita Hill. The next few days will provide an interesting test of press objectivity, and the next few months will provide something more important, and that is a test of presidential character and credibility. When rumors become depositions, the stakes rise. Well, I don't know about you, but as I read and hear of such incidents and or allegations, it causes me to ask the following questions. Primarily, what's the root problem? You know, what's the underlying problem that causes such behavior? Because I believe, as we've seen all throughout this series on morality in our culture, that the most visible, in this case sexual harassment, is generally a symptom and it's not the cause. It's what we see, but it's not what underlies the problem. And uh, so we need to get to the root problem, but the question remains, what causes a man to subject a woman to such treatment? And I'm glad that you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about. How many of you have, how many of you have watched the old Westerns, TV Westerns? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, there we go. Now, now let me ask you, 
What were some of your favorite shows? What? Gunsmoke. Matt Dillon. Gotta love it. Huh? How is it? Yeah. What? Bonanza. The Big Valley. The Lone Ranger. Oh, I love it. Cisco Kid. Now I'm talking about TV shows now, not old radio shows now. No. But the... What the Rifleman? Oh yeah. See, I mean, those are I mean, those are great shows. I mean, I love those shows. Thank God for Nick at Night. You know, I mean, those, those are those are great shows. I mean, but let, let me ask you a question. I mean, you got Paladin, Rawhide, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, The Big Valley. I mean, it, for the most part, how were women treated in those shows? Oh, there it is. One word answer with respect. Isn't that true? I mean, if you stop, I mean, not how they had to live. I mean, it's one thing to have to live in the conditions that they lived in. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how did men treat women? And the answer, one word answer is respect. Men treated women with respect. Now, I could, you know, picture Dan Blocker, Haas. Why was he named Haas? Because he was as big as a house and he could eat a horse. I got to believe that's what they're thinking. The man was huge. I mean, he'd take on four to six guys at one time. He'd throw them through the saloon doors of the window. And you know what? And at the same time, he'd just dust himself off. He'd be kicking guys around. He'd be knocking them out. And then a lady would pass him in the street. What did he do? Just tip his hat? What did he say? Howdy, man. Right? And, yeah, you see, you've seen that, right? I mean, and, that, and then she gets up on a wagon. You know, he'd help her up on the wagon, help her down off the wagon. Howdy, ma'am. And every guy that walked down the streets, those old dusty streets, when a woman walked by, they would tip their hat and they would say, Howdy, ma'am. Respect. What's the root problem, if you think about it, when it comes to sexual harassment? No respect. One of the telltale signs of our rapid national erosion is the way that women are treated in our country. I mean, think about it. To put it bluntly, we are developing into a nation where women are not respected. And it's contributing, you know, and, and you stop and think about it, and, and this, and the irony of all of it, and I was thinking about this this past week, the irony of all of it, you, you know what's contributed a lot to the problem? The so-called women's movement. Now, hear me out for a second, and tell me if you don't agree. The women's movement that has tried in every way possible to eliminate the distinctiveness between males and females. In the beginning, God created them male and female. He created them. God created men and women with distinctive differences. And the radical, and I'm a, I'll call it the radical feminist movement over the last 20 years, has done everything in its power to try to eliminate in our culture the distinctiveness between men and women. And it's important that we understand that. But I think men are largely to shoulder the blame for lack of respect, regardless of what the women's movement try to do. I think that we have a, a tremendous responsibility in accepting some of this and also dealing with it. But I want to ask you a question. What is respect? You stop and think about it. What exactly is respect? If the root problem is that men don't show respect to women, then we need to understand what exactly is respect. Well, consider these definitions. What is respect? Number one, to esteem and to value. To respect another person is to honor them. To respect them is to relate to them. 
To respect them is to consider or give consideration to them. Now, the best way to test yourself, as always in all of these areas, is to ask yourself some personal questions. Number one, if you're married, let me ask you this. Do you value your wife? If you're married, do you value your wife? Do you honor her? Proverbs 31 says that the man, her husband, speaking of the virtuous woman, her husband and her children, they rise up and they bless her. Meaning what? They speak highly of her. They speak well of her. Men, husbands, do you speak well of your wife in front of others? Whether it's other men, other women, and a group of people. Do you value her? Do you honor her? Do you esteem her? Do you speak well of her? Do you consider her opinions? Or do you relate to her? Do you try to understand her? As 1 Peter 3, 7 says, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. I mean, it's difficult at times to understand the distinctive differences between men and women, but our responsibility as men is, God says, live with her in an understanding way. Try to understand the differences. If you respect your wife, you'll do that. If you respect women, you'll do that. You'll try to understand the differences. Do you consider her? Do you give consideration to her opinions, to her presence? Do you consider her when you're making a decision? That's respect. You know, if you stop and think about it, do you do that if you're married with your wife? Let me ask you a deeper question. Do you do that in your home? Men, fathers, do you do that with your daughters as well as with your sons? Or is there a double standard in your home where the guys stick together, the gals stick together? Do you honor, do you consider, do you esteem, do you speak well of your daughters as, as much as your sons? Or how about in the workplace? How about the colleagues that are around you? Do you esteem your women colleagues as much as your men? How about in the church? Do we give value, esteem to women around us? See, it's a matter of respect. We may say that we do because those are all the right answers and we know that. But in reality, let me ask you a question and maybe some of the women can help us out. But let me ask you a question. As ladies, how many of you have felt at some time in your life that you were shown a lack of respect? Okay? You know, I think most of you are in agreement now. Here's where we get into the sensitive part, but this is the most fun part. <laughs> Who wants to share how, when you felt a lack of respect, now I realize I don't want to mess up a, a, a very special day here now. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. I don't want to be blowing it now. I know, I know. But let, let me just, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't even have to be anybody that's here with you or anybody that, you know, you know, you can, the names you can protect. You know, or the names could be anonymous to protect the guilty. Um, but when you were shown a lack of respect, what was the situation? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Here's, here's, she was at work. Someone tells a dirty joke in front of her. A joke with, obviously, a sexual innuendo of some sort or a sexual punchline, and that's shown a lack of respect. All right. How else? Yes. Ready as a woman to pull in the parking spot, and just at the last second, a guy pulls you off and he yells out the window, How's that for that woman's movement? <laughs> no. No, but okay. Uh, there's a lack of respect. How else? Mm-hmm. 
okay, you're walking into a, you know, a, a public place, you go to reach the door and a guy cuts you off even at the door or else he doesn't even hold the door open. He doesn't even wait for you anymore. He doesn't open it and let you go. He doesn't tip his hat and say, howdy, ma'am. <laughs> he doesn't do that anymore. That's like, hey, you want to be an equal? Your arm broke? <laughs> Get in the car. But that's the way that we demonstrate and then what's interesting is you walk away from that feeling a lack of respect. How else? Anybody else? Yes. Cat calls. Like, oh, that's pretty, you got to come on up here and show everybody how you do that. That was good. The old cat call. Yeah, I mean, gee, I mean, and it, and it works so often, doesn't it, ladies? I mean, isn't that how you met your husband? Weren't you turned on by that? Walking out straight, hey, 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 baby! Yeah, yeah, I want to go out with you, I think I do, yeah. Oh, man, you're the guy I've been waiting for <laughs> at night in a dark alley that I was always told about. No, I mean, yeah, think about that. That's disgusting. I mean, well, oh, yeah, huh? how many guys do that, though? Oh, not now, but how many of you have? Or not tomorrow, at least. All right? You see, what, you see the point? Let me, let me share with you some things that, you know what? It's so easy at times to understand how we show a lack of respect because it's a lot harder to understand how to show respect. So let me, let me just share with you some things that I believe demonstrate or evidence of disrespect. And some of this is going to be very, very convicting to some of us, and I certainly don't mean to do that. Um, but take it for what it's worth. Number one, evidence of disrespect. To ever abuse a woman, to ever physically, emotionally, mentally abuse a woman, I believe that men who do that, who hit, push, kick, punch, scream at, throw things, or what I call harass from the standpoint of riding them, just always on top of them, and they can never do anything right, everything that they do is wrong, and just ride them into the ground. Men who do that were never taught to respect women. You never see Haas or Little Joe do that. To abuse means to make wrong use of, to violate, to ill-treat. You know, and that certainly sums it all up, if you think about it, to make wrong use of. Women were not created by God for such a purpose. Women were created by God to be a companion, to be a helpmeet, or to complement men, particularly their husbands. Women were not created by God to be an object of abuse. As a child, having witnessed such behavior in our home, it certainly didn't require an extensive knowledge of the Bible to know that that behavior was wrong and still is. I didn't even know God. I didn't even know the Bible. I never read the Bible. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, obviously, from, the, from some of the signs that, that I'm sharing with you. But as a child, it didn't take a biblical scholar to realize how wrong that type of treatment is. And if you're in an environment like that, there's nothing right about that. Even as a Christian, there's nothing right about that behavior. And you need help. You need help. The person abusing you needs help. We need to be aware of that. That is not acceptable behavior for God's people. And you need to get help. And you need to get out of it. And you need to just draw the line and say, enough is enough. I love you too much to let you keep doing this to me 
into my kids or your kids or whatever. God, help us to understand that. Another evidence of disrespect in our culture is rape. Is rape. The latest research indicates that one out of every five women will be forced into a sexual act against her will. So-called acquaintance or date rape is occurring at alarming rates. And this act is much more than just a lack of respect. It's criminal. What's behind date rape? This is interesting. Here's a survey that I came across recently. A study of junior high school students reveals some of these interesting and startling facts about dating etiquette. Half the youngsters, 50%, say when a man pays for a date, he has a right to kiss the woman. 20% said that he has a right to have sexual intercourse with her. Junior high school. Sexual liberation. Is that what it's all about? When a man buys a woman dinner, that's what he expects? When a concert ticket is also a ticket to sex? Is that what men expect in our culture today? What if the woman thought the concert invitation was simply an invitation to go to a concert? Wow, my goodness, how could she think that? Date rape. Listen to this commentary that I pulled out of somewhere in, in 1991, December of 1991. Feminists are trying to change all of this by drawing public attention to the problem, speaking of date rape. But they're ignoring the question at the heart of the issue. Why is date rape happening? Why have social restraints broken down so completely that young men feel they have the right to sexual favors even by force? The answer is the old biblical principle, you reap what you sow. For years, our society has sown the seed of sexual permissiveness. Sex dominates movies, televisions, and popular music, and in some places, a young man is handed a package of condoms in high school or college, a clear signal from school authorities, nonetheless, that he's expected to be sexually active. The old code of chivalry has been discredited. Remember the time when no man could claim to be civilized unless he showed courtesy and protectiveness toward women? Radical feminists have denounced the old code as oppressive. But I wonder if women didn't prefer the so-called oppressive ideal of men opening doors for them to the new ideal some men have adopted in its place. That a real man takes whatever he can get sexually. That a real man doesn't have to take no for an answer. What feminists seem to un be unable to understand is that the loss of the older code puts women at risk. To state the obvious, there are biological differences between the sexes and it's easier to assault a woman than it is to assault a man. When moral and social constraints are lifted, it's women who become vulnerable. Feminists say the solution to date rape is for men to respect women who say no. But that's not enough. The real problem is that sex has been stripped of its moral dimension. It's been reduced to a clash of personal desires. The man says, I want it. The woman says, I don't. But they have no moral principles to support their decision, no common code of decency binding on them both. It becomes a private will, one versus the other. And al add alcohol or drugs to the equation, and you have a classic setup for date rape. America needs a recommitment to the idea that sex is more than a private choice. It's a moral issue. There are moral standards transcending what you or I may want at the moment. The 60s show the slogans of free sex. Today we are reaping a harvest of forced sex. It says, if in sex as in politics, freedom without moral restraint leads to might is right. Obviously, I agree with what he has to say. Number three, evidence of disrespect or divorce, is divorce. 
any guy who leaves his wife or his children for some new young thing has never been taught to respect women. Never been taught to respect women. Crass innuendos. Any man who tells dirty jokes in front of a woman or makes crass innuendos of a sexual nature of any kind, whether he's commenting on our physical appearance, making a joke at the office, having uh, questionable photographs hung up around the office, whatever it is, any, any, any man who would do that has never been taught to respect women. I like uh, an interview that I heard not too long ago. William Bennett, who is uh, the former Secretary of uh, Education and Drug Czar and also the author of a current best-selling book, The Book of Virtues, was on a radio show not long ago, and I heard this interview, and I thought it would be interesting to, to tie it in here because he, w he was asked one time uh, to tell about how he could tell the character of a man. How do you tell the character of a man? And he said, you know how I do it? I observe men when they're around stewardesses, waitresses, and nurses. And I'll throw in secretaries. Stewardesses, waitresses, and nurses. He said, I watch how they treat those women because they're all in a service-type business. Are they oppressive towards them? Are they demeaning of them? Are they demanding of them? Do they come up with crass sexual innuendos in front of them? That's how I, Bill Bennett, judges the character of a man. He says, and usually after I watch this on an airplane, when I see a guy for a period of time demeaning a, a, one of the stewardesses, I usually try to get a, a conversation going with him. This is him talking. He says, you know, and I'll ask him what they do, ask him where they work, ask him where they're traveling, you know, and all those type of things. And then as a punchline, I'll say, hey, you know what, do you mind, would you give me one of your business cards? The guy's all excited because, oh, you're Bill Bennett, you want one of my business cards? And he hands it to him and he says, well, can I ask you, what do you want my business card for? He goes, you know why? I'll tell you why. Because I want to write a letter to your chief executive officer of the company that you work for, and I want to explain to him what I watched on this airplane, and I'm just going to ask them the question, is your behavior of women indicative of the type of operation that he or she runs? That's all I want to ask. Is that great? That's excellent. I love it. That's what it's all about. It's character. It's when no one else that you know is around you watching what you're doing. And you continue to be consistent in how you live your life. That's character. That's integrity. It's not putting on a dog and pony show for people at church or people that you run into or people that you work with that know you go to this church or that church or that you say you're a Christian. It's not putting on that front for those people. It's who you are 24 hours a day, seven days a week when nobody else but God sees your behavior with another human being. That's character. And don't tell me in our culture that character doesn't mean something. That's nonsense. It means a lot tells you everything you need to know about a man or a woman. Ignoring. Evidence of disrespect. Do you ignore your wife? Do you ignore other women? The attitude is, the pompous, arrogant attitude of men is this. <laughs> what do you have to offer? I mean, why would I ask you your opinion? What do you have to offer? That's that arrogance, the ignorance to ignore another human being and say, well, I don't understand. What do you have to offer? I believe that our country is crying out for men who know how to treat women with respect. 
and in a gracious manner. I believe that we need men like Haas again and little Joe and, and Jared and Heath and Rowdy and all those guys that knew how to treat women folk. I think that's what we need in our country once again. We need men whose actions will in turn teach their sons. Men that understand what the Bible teaches. Men that understand what God's position is toward women. And I'll tell you why I think it's a major problem. Listen to this article. Here's a new growing fad. This has taken place in public swimming pools in New York City. It's called whirlpooling. Chuck Colson writes this. 20 to 30 boys link arms in a circle around a solitary girl. The boys close in on her, dunk her head underwater, and frequently tear off her bathing suit and grab at her. The problem has grown so severe that in New York City, several teenage boys have actually been arrested. Some girls say that they're afraid to go to the pool alone. The underlying philosophy that spawns this ugliness was uncovered in an informal survey by the New York Times. Reporters asked several teens how they accounted for the boys' predatory behavior in swimming pools. One boy replied, it's nature. Look at a female dog and a male dog. It's the same thing. You see 20 male dogs on a female dog. It's the male nature. That's the way that it is. He says, how utterly repugnant, but how utterly consistent with what these kids are being taught in our public school system. The great prophet of sex education was Albert Kinsey, who built his theory of sexuality squarely on the foundation of scientific naturalism. Humans are part of nature, Kinsey taught. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, the Bible does not teach that we are mere dogs and heath. It teaches that we are bearers, all of us, of the image of God. Well, I don't, I don't know any more details about whirlpooling, uh, but you know what? Two things come to mind. Number one, I would have liked to see Haas and little Joe show up when there was a little whirlpooling going on. Huh? Could you just picture it now? Haas and little Joe. Wouldn't that be great to kind of... To, to transcend the generational differences and have a situation like that where Haas and Little Joe come riding into a New York City uh, swimming pool on their horses. And they jump in the pool and they just start tossing those guys all out and throwing them left, you know, one at a time out of the pool and they get this gal's bathing suit and they hand it to her discreetly and say, here you go, ma'am. Would that be, I mean, wouldn't that be, I mean, that'd be awesome. That'd be so, that'd be wonderful. That's one thing I'd like to see. The second observation is this. 20... 20 boys, 20 men that would surround a woman and do something like that have never been taught by their fathers to respect women. Just a thought. So, hey, as Mother's Day gift to men that can give, Mother's Day gift that men can give their women all year round. All year round, okay? Not just on Mother's Day now. I want you to understand this is an all year round thing. Now, I ran into this little cartoon I thought you'd appreciate, you know? Because it was getting a little bit heavy in here, and I knew it was going to, and it's going to get worse. So hey, what can I say? But here's a little cartoon for you. This is this is an an all you know every day of the year gift, men that we can give women. But here's typically the way it works. Here's a lady and guy that's ready to go to church. She's saying, "Hey, I've got a great idea. Let's reverse things. Today you'd be grouchy at church and charming at home." Yeah, I like that. Thought you might enjoy that. Yeah, thought you might like that one. But, I mean, uh, yeah, boo all you want. Oh, so you're, you're, you're serious. You're going to be grouchy at church, huh? Go ahead, guy, boo. But, I mean, isn't that the way that it usually works? I mean, it's, it, this, this is what kills me about these special days. 
they're so hypocritical. They're such a mockery. I mean, if you're a jerk all year round, trying to be nice on Mother's Day isn't quite going to do it for you, buddy. You know what I mean? You hear what I'm saying? I mean, you're trying to pull it off on Mother's Day, birthdays, you know, anniversaries, Christmas. I mean, and you're looking at four days out of the year. I mean, and, you know, I don't, I, new math or no new math, figure out the percentage. Four out of 365 is really not going to work for you, right? I mean, if you're going to be grouchy, be grouchy four days out of the year. And how about being a godly man who respects women 361 other days of the year? And, and shoot for the 365. But anyway, here's God's perspective, okay? Six ways to show respect for women. You ready, guys? Here we go. And you know what's so funny is, and, and guys never take notes, so this is what's kind of bad about this. Yeah, nah. There you, oh, yeah, I hear you. Stand on up here. Let everybody see the only guy that I know that takes notes. Oh, hey, look at all these guys now. Hey, there you go. Hey, hey. Well, you know, whoa, don't they're getting. That's a, oh, it's an ugly crowd. But... Uh, uh, yeah, well, you're all taking notes now because I saw like five minutes ago your wife handing you the pad and the paper and it's like saying, here we go, this looks like it's something you should pay attention to. Okie dokie, here we go. Number one, now some of these uh, are going to be principles that have a primary application and others are going to be more general in nature, but I don't think there's any way we can get around any of this. And um, number one, six ways to show respect for women. Number one. Be sensitive with an I and not an A. I hate typos, man. I just see that and I just get bugs me now the rest of the day. Be sensitive to their needs. John 19, 25 through 27. Shouldn't even brought up because most of you wouldn't even recognize that problem. But, and now you're all going, where, where, what A, what I? But anyway, be sensitive to their needs. John 19, verses 25 through 27. Just wonderful insight as to the character of our God. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What powerful insight into the character of God and his love and concern for women. Jesus Christ dying on the cross with literally the burdens of the world on his shoulders at that time. I mean, literally, the burdens of the world, the sin of the world on his shoulders as he was dying on the cross had enough compassion, enough insight to look and see his mother standing at the foot of the cross. And he said, you know, I need to take care of her. I need to make sure that she's taken care of. I need to be sensitive to her needs. And you know what's fascinating to me as you consider that is that there's so many of us as men who are so busy doing so many other things that we are not sensitive to the needs of those who are closest to us. And it's a frightening commentary as to some of the problems that we have in our culture, but if you stop and think about it, it's really where it all starts. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to this. Verse 1, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father to the younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Do you know where Christianity is tested first? Where what you say you believe and what you say you're all about is tested first? Practice piety in your own home, first of all. 
how disgusting it is, how, how, how upsetting it must be to women whose husbands play this, this spiritual Christian game. These husbands who are sometimes, in some cases, pastors, in some cases on boards, some cases are, are, are on the elder board, the leadership board, in some cases are teachers at churches. How, how, how difficult it must be for women who sit at home and they watch their husband in this quote-unquote great spiritual leadership position and they have absolutely no respect for them at home. And they come to church and they play this game and they ignore him. And I love this. I mean, here, here's a great cartoon of it. This woman who obviously is a, a, a pastor's wife sitting there saying, now that you've mastered ministry and management, how about tackling tender, loving care? You know, stop and think about what an indictment that is and how true that it really is. We need to understand. Here's another, here's another guy sitting in the office of church and there's his wife. Honey, why in the world do you feel so unimportant as she's hanging on the coat rack? I mean, you know, this is, this is the problem that we have. There's such a double standard in our culture. And I'll tell you what, if I want to see, uh, if you want godly leadership, the first place that you go to find out about a guy is ask his wife what he's like at home. Ask his kids what he's like around them. Ask people who see him behind the scenes. Not the guy that stands up front, not the guy who you see that is visible, but find out about the real guy. The guy that's on the airplane when he doesn't think anybody else knows who he is. How does he treat that stewardess? The guy who goes out to lunch and nobody knows who he is. How does he treat that waitress? The guy who's at his office and nobody's watching but people around him. How does he treat her? See, that's really what it's all about. Being sensitive to the needs of other people mean, you know what? I have to stop and I have to consider the needs of my family. You know, oftentimes I joke about this, but now that I'm sitting here and I'm getting a better understanding of how this works... But I mean, many times we've talked about how men and women are so different. And as men, a lot of times we don't really see real well. We can sense it. We can feel it. But most guys have asked the stupid question of all, you know, it's the question, the, 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 the question of all stupidity throughout the foundation of time. Did I do something? We've all asked that stupid question. Because we can sense it, we can feel it, the tension, we can see the smoke coming out the windows, right? I mean, we know we did something, but we ask the stupid question. That, are you upset? Did I do something? Can you give me a hint as to what it is? And then she'll say, if you don't know by now. And so there's this balance there. There's, you know, and, I used to, you know, and I would tell Linda, look, if I don't know by now, I'll get a clue what you married here. Uh, you're going to need to tell me. But the point that she's trying to make is you should know by now. If you were sensitive to my needs, you would know by now. And a lot of times we do know by now, but there's this thing called, well, we'd have to own up to our mistake. We'd have to maybe apologize. We'd have to maybe make it right. So if somehow we can rationalize it and explain it away, then it isn't what they thought it was, even though you know it's exactly what they thought it was, but you don't want to admit it. You know what I'm saying? So we play this game. Well, you know what? I mean, the Bible tells us that I mean, what a great example that Jesus gives us. With all the rest of the stress and the problems you have in life, men, there should never be a time where we're too busy to meet the needs of the people closest to us. There's just no excuse. Jesus gave us the perfect, perfect example. I don't know about you, but I've never been as busy he, as he was on the day he was hanging on the cross. We need to be sensitive to needs. Now, that also means that uh, if you stop and think about it, 
we, we have to stop being so hypocritical. We have to stop trying to save the world while we're losing our families. I mean, think about it. Our first and primary responsibility as men of God is to make sure that we love our wives, that we love our children, that we raise them in the admonishment and nurture them in the Lord, that we live godly lives at home when nobody else sees us. Number two, we also have to be willing to sacrifice our interests on the behalf of others. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, what a wonderful challenge it is to consider. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility in mind. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look at not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What a great principle that is. It's self-explanatory, really. Respect involves not only being sensitive to the needs of others, but going so far as to meet those needs that we see. And before our own. Be considerate. Literally, it means to think about the needs, to ponder the needs, to consider what those needs are. Oftentimes, what it means, men, is to anticipate the need before it becomes a need. Before she says, would you do this? Or we need this done. We need to think ahead and project ahead. It says be consider or consider, which means specifically to take into consideration and mull it over for the purpose of taking action. The book of Hebrews uses the same term when it talks about Jesus. It says all throughout the book of Hebrews, consider Jesus. What do you mean consider him? Take a good hard look at who he is, what he's claimed, what he's done, and then act accordingly. Consider it. Be considerate of others. This is what a woman means when she says, if you don't know by now. What she's saying is, you don't consider what my needs are. Too many men put their hobbies, their careers, their personal goals before the needs of their families. If you want to show respect for your family, then consider their needs. Number three, we need men. We need men who will make women feel safe in their presence. We need men who will make women feel safe in their presence. Our wives and women around us should never be fearful in our presence. We should be, as men, a great source of comfort, a great source of protection. And I can't remember ever watching Bonanza where any woman was afraid to be around Haas or Little Joe. There was a great sense of peace and comfort and security and confidence and assurance they weren't worried about what were they going to do next. They weren't worried about whether they were going to violate them, violate them physically. Women never worried about whether Haas was going to tell a dirty joke or some crass innuendo. No, man, they didn't worry about that because those men were gentlemen. Men, as the Bible says, that were meek, which is strength under control. They were powerful men. They were rugged men. They were men. And they were gentlemen. We need more gentlemen. First John tells us in First. 8, 4, chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In 1 Peter 3, verses 7 through 9, husbands, in the same way, be considerate. It's a command. Be considerate. Consider others as, and consider specifically your wife as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 
Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate, humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because for this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Let me ask you a personal question. What does it take, ladies, what does it take to cause your husband to fly off the handle? What does it take? You ding the car? You lose your checkbook? You lose a credit card? You lose an air conditioner out of the back of their truck? Yeah, way okey dokey. You uh, you spill a you, you spill a seven up on them thirty minutes into an eleven hour flight. I mean, what does it take? You know what I mean? See, what and and, and the reason I say that is because I handle those things with grace and charm. <laughs> I did. You can ask her too. You know the, that initial reaction. You know, you know, cold seven up and the left, but then hey, you know, we got eleven hours for it to dry. <laughs> I mean, stop and think about it. I mean, what does it take to set your husband off? I, and, I, and I'm very serious about this. What does it take? Think about it. See, really, your relationship, the intimacy of it, is going to be restricted to what you think you can and cannot do that will cause the reaction that you fear the most. Hey, man, you've got to keep your sense of humor. You've got to keep laughing or you go nuts. If it's serious, then you take care of it. But we've got to find something funny in everything that happens. And just make a joke of it, laugh about it, and just leave it behind. Because as men, we need to make women feel safe in our presence. The little things can't set you off to where you start going nuts, throwing stuff across the room, screaming, yelling, berating people. I mean, what, what's the sense of that? What does it accomplish? It doesn't change anything. Number four, always treat women as you would like to be treated. And that really, I mean, this is basic. This is basic relational stuff. Treat other people as you would like to be treated. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied that you love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is just like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. For all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. How would I want to be treated? Men, ask yourself, how would I want to be treated if the shoe or the pump were on the other foot? You know what I mean? I mean, how would I want to be treated if I did what they did? If I said what she said? If I, whatever. How would I want to be treated? With respect. With dignity. The only way that we'll treat others with respect and dignity is by having a close personal walk and relationship with God. That's what Jesus laid out, very first thing. Hey, you know what, men? You want to treat other people with respect? Then you need to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The greatest gift that any man can give his wife or any woman, woman in our culture, our society, is a gift that says, I am a man who is committed to God. I am a man who is committed to the Word of God. I am a man that's committed to live a life that's pleasing to God. I am a man who says, I love God and I will obey His commandments. Therefore, I will treat you with respect and dignity because you too are a child of God. Right? I mean, that's what it comes, all, that's what it comes down to. The greatest gift, and this is what usually happens, and you ladies tell me if it's not true. Most women try to encourage their husbands to love God. 
Most women try to encourage their husbands to have a quiet time, to read their Bible, to pray, to read this book that I just picked up at the bookstore, uh, to, to go to this accountability meeting with this other guy, or to find friendship with a godly man, to latch onto him, uh, to, to meet with so-and-so for lunch. Hey, would you, and most women do that, and yet when they do that, men react because we, we jump back. Hey, you're pushing something on me. Well, it's about time that women in this church, this culture, in our society, don't have to encourage men to walk with God. It's time that men say, hey, you know what? You don't have to push me anymore because I know that's something I should be doing. Forgive me for the way I've acted in the past and encourage me as I continue to try to walk with God. I need to spend time with Him alone. I need to pray. I need to read my Bible. I need to get involved in Bible study. I need to be more committed to church. I need to find out what my spiritual gift is and serve Him. I need to be a godly man, and I want you to encourage me, and I want you to help me, because that's the greatest gift that any man could give any woman, whether they're married to him or just another woman in our culture. Men, we need to be godly men. How's your walk with God? You want to give them a Mother's Day gift that will last a lot longer than the flowers? Why don't you be a man who's committed to live a life that's pleasing to God? Number five, appreciate their presence and their opinions. Appreciate their presence and their opinions. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Don't bite their nose off when they try to give you some input. Don't ridicule them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be embittered, uh, the, the New American Standard says. Don't be embittered toward them. Meaning, you know what? Hey, you have an opinion? Please tell me what it is. I want to listen to it. I need to know. Because if I understand my Bible right, and I believe that I do, that as my wife, you're my helpmate. You compliment me. You help me to see things that I can't see. And it's been evident throughout our 20-year relationship with my wife that she sees things that I don't see. And at first, I didn't even want to listen to her. Or I try to change her opinion, or I try to help her to see things as I do. And that still goes on, but I've also learned to listen to the point where, you know what? She's got some valid insight. She sees things that I don't. And what I need to do is I need to appreciate her presence. I need to appreciate her opinions. I need to listen to her. We need to have conversation. I like a joke that I saw the other day. It was kind of like a little cartoon. Guy sitting in his chair, you know how the chair we all have. And we got a newspaper, and he's got a newspaper in front of him. And this lady, his wife, is standing like across the room with a sign holding up like this. And it says, we don't talk anymore. As if she had it written out. You know, it's kind of like subliminal message above the paper. And it's true. We need to communicate with one another. To appreciate another person's presence and opinions means that you'll give them the time of day. You'll listen. You'll communicate. You'll talk. You'll ask questions. You'll share with one another. I mean, that's an interesting thought, but it requires more than just that. It also requires listening for the sake of taking that information into consideration to make that final decision. Number six and the last one. Always remain pure in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds on all of our relationships. Really, this sums it all up. If you stop and look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, we read already, but it says, Don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Men, any woman that you meet on the street, she's an older woman, you give her the respect that you would have any man give your mother. If she's a younger woman, you give her respect as any man you'd want to give your sister. Nothing but respect and dignity. Absolute purity. Not a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint of sexual 
crass innuendo, nothing that has to do with physical anatomy or jokes of any sort. The Bible says with absolute purity. Ask you some questions. Is that the way you treat every woman that you know? Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, we'll close on this. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper of God's holy people. Now, I don't know what kind of degree you need to figure this out, but it sounds pretty simple to me. Because what? These are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an adulterer, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Sexual harassment is indicative of a man who is void of spiritual character. How we treat and respond to women is an excellent barometer to measure a man's spiritual condition. It's also an appropriate and accurate measurement of character. And I believe this, if more, men and more, if more men would treat women with respect, with graciousness and dignity, if more of us were like Haas and Little Joe and Heath and Jared and Rowdy and Matt Dillon, there would be a lot less women trying to be men. I like what Susan Barkley has to say, and I'll close on this. This woman says, you know, I don't mind living in a man's world as long as I can be a woman in it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this special day, this Mother's Day, that we can reflect as men on how we treat women, how we treat our wives, how we treat our mothers, how we treat our sisters, how we treat, you know, women all around us. God, help us to uh, understand that we need to be men who love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And as we draw closer to you and as we worship and honor you, that that attitude, that respect, that dignity will be shown to all people around us, around us. God, help us to be men who show respect to all women. God, may we ask for forgiveness in cases where we haven't. May we repent and turn from behavior that isn't pleasing to you that we're presently committing. And God, may we look to you for insight and direction as we study your word and as we draw closer to you as to the kind of men that you would have us to be in the future. And we just thank you for this Mother's Day, that it's a day that we can not only honor women around us, but as men as a day that we can reflect on our personal behavior so that we can repent and so that we can turn from it. God, help us to be men who love you 365 days a year. May that be a gift that lasts a lot longer than the flowers that we give today. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.